How's it, guys? Welcome back for another week. Very, very happy, Nick. And I'm joined by my good buddy, Ronnie, as always. Ronnie, how's it going over there in France? Yeah, bonjour. Bonjour. It's, it's going well. It's already assimilating, hey? learning the language. So tell us a little bit. You were at the games this weekend. What is the vibe there in France? I mean, when you landed, did you know it was the Rugby World Cup? Or did it take some searching to find some places to get involved in the action? No, it's definitely, it's, it's everywhere. And uh, <laughs> I, I traveled with my Springbok jersey, so a lot of people booed me. A lot of people gave me high fives too. So it's a big bit of a mixed bag, but the World Cup fever was everywhere. I actually sat down for a beer in, in Marseille and half the Fijian team walked by, came sat down too. It's, it, it really is everywhere. Oh, that sounds really epic, man. And you were telling me that you were watching the games that you weren't at out like in the streets. Is that what, what was going on? Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, we don't really have a choice in the matter. There's, there are bars and pubs everywhere you look. But the reality is this, it's, it's, just, it's a football town, Marseille. And there's a bit of a, a case of rugby fever. And there are tens of thousands of people everywhere. So the reality is you end up standing outside on the street along with 10,000 other fans all looking at a, at a screen on the inside. It's, but it's fantastic. It's very enjoyable, that's for sure. And, I mean, you were there for the playoff stages now, so people booking tickets for that, it's a little bit of a risk because you don't know what teams you're going to see. The supporters there in Marseille, whilst you were there, were they mostly guys for those games? Or was it a big, bit of mix and match, everyone that just... Yes, we came to the two quarterfinals in Marseille, so that would be Wales, Argentina, and also England, Fiji. A lot of English fans, a lot of Welsh fans. Definitely the loudest of them all were the Argentinian fans, which was incredible to see. But yeah, you saw a couple of sad Australians walking the streets too. And uh, yeah, fans really from all over. Not many Springboks, obviously. The Springbok quarterfinal was in Paris, uh, which I couldn't make. But yeah, it was, it was awesome nonetheless. Yeah, I'm very, very jealous of you there, Ronnie. But that must have been some kind of T-bone you had with old Gus on Thursday because, man, that guy played well on, on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that was awesome to see. A little bit unexpected in my opinion. I definitely thought Wales were going to uh, pick them off. But, yeah, very happy to see the Argentinian and the Southern Hemisphere teams do particularly well. I think, yeah, I could be quite proud of, of our teams from the South. Well, you called me out on it last week, Ronnie, and you said, you know, I had in the beginning of the podcast said this and then i wrote and said you know you can't believe i'm speaking these three sentences but these are two i know i've not spoken because last week we jumped on the show the northern hemisphere sides had topped every single pool okay now we hop on the show we've got three southern hemisphere three of the rugby championship sides through to the semis we have england and even more shockingly england is the only team that hasn't lost a game at the world cup that's still in it i mean yeah that dollar me last night too as well and i was watching this and i thought Geez, they're actually the only team to 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 have won every single match going through which is which you would not have said six months ago yeah i mean we ago. predicting a pool stage exit for england at one point and yeah they are they've built up no i said no such thing yeah ronnie i don't know if we go back in the recordings i'm sure there was some sort of a dig at owen farrell along with that comment absolutely <laughs> well ronnie let's dive right into the quarterfinal action then from this weekend as you said, Argentina getting the win over Wales. It was a 29-17 to 17 point win. Comprehensive victory at the end of the day, 12 points in it. It was only 10-6 at half time. Argentina were quite loose with the possession in that first half. You know, a lot of drop balls, a lot of opportunities going begging where they weren't managing to finish. But they managed to stick in the game and, and set themselves up nicely for the second half. 
Well, for sure. But, I, you know, I'm going to say that that was actually down to Argentinian fans that were there. I mean, they were definitely in the minority in the stands, but they were the loudest fans I've ever experienced. And honestly, if I played in front of a crowd like that, even just, you know, if they were 10% of the stadium and they were screaming and making so much noise, yeah, I would also run through a brick wall and win whatever match I was playing. So being at the stadium, which fans dominated there, the Welsh or the Argentinians? Definitely the Welsh. Definitely Welsh and uh, English in the second game. But uh, the Welsh were everywhere. And uh, yeah, and then so Argentinians, obviously, in the minority, but very, very loud. Yeah, you know, it was it was interesting to watch this game because a lot of people did predict Wales to win. It was the majority pick on Super Brew. I know you went that way as well, Ronnie, and we're going to get into your betrayal of the South a little bit later. But <laughs> Yaku Paper going off injured. Now, I have to ask, because we were at a Bulls game earlier in this year where the ref got injured, and we didn't really know what was going on in the crowd. Were you guys able to make out that Yaku was injured, or did it come over the stadium announcers, or were you just like, oh, shit, there's a new ref when Dixon took control? No, that uh, it was... can't actually tell you what happened. We just all immediately knew the rumor sort of started running around the, the stands. We could see it on the big screen. And yeah, we had pretty good seats anyway to see what was happening on field. So yeah, we kind of knew from the start. And, and there's a lot of fans that were happy to see the back of Yaku paper. Yeah, I think the Welsh fans were happy to see the back of Yaku until they lost. Then they were wishing that they had Yaku back. But definitely a couple of fans that switched it and changed their minds midway through. And they said, oh, cheers, Yaku. Glad to see you. Now we're going to really win. And then, you know, towards the end, they said, Okay, maybe Yaku's feeling fit and ready to come back on the field. Yeah, I think the comment of the weekend, I posted it out on Punted, was hilarious with, you know, are there going to be any match officials left in the World Cup? Yaku Papers aren't injured. We've just lost Sexton and Dan Bigger. You know, who's going to be left after, after <laughs> this? Fortunately for everyone, Owen Farrell is still there. So some top quality refereeing still to come. But Ronnie, I think the most That's special specific. moment in that game for me was Nick Sanchez's intercept. You know, an older head in the Argentinian side, a number of them on the bench, along with like Gus Creevy and so on. But man, man, that intercept. Centurion. Yeah, absolutely. So he closed it out at the end there, right? So they, Wales are still in it, but I think uh, that broke a lot of hearts, a lot of Welsh hearts. And maybe not just the Welsh, but also of the fans that had, whose teams hadn't made it through and are supporting the Wales. And yeah, that broke a lot of hearts, but it was fantastic to see. We went a little bit wild in the stands. Yeah, no, I can absolutely imagine it was epic, epic, epic rugby on display there. You know, we've now seen the back of Dan Bigger, but he was a legend of Welsh rugby of the British and Irish Lions. We'll never forget the big arena. So he bows out on a a less than desirable note from the Dragons. But, you know, legend of the game, shout out to him. Thank you for all you've brought to the game that we love, Dan. But Ronnie, looking at this game now, Argentina building nicely through the World Cup, slowly starting to progress. Do you think they've they've fine-tuned their game, or was this just an understrength Welsh side that they faced, or maybe not understrength, inexperienced? No, I'm going to say that. I think uh, Argentina is strong enough to, you know, to pull it off. We've seen them beat some really strong teams in the past and do really well against the All Blacks now, which was, you know, not just once, twice really against the box. They've done really well against Argentina. They've done really well. So it's expected for them to perform at a much higher standard than you know what they used to 10, 15 years ago. You know, I wouldn't say it was an understrength well, sir. I thought it was a brilliant game from them too. Look, unfortunately, I haven't seen all the replays. Unfortunately, I had a little bit too much uh, rugby and uh, and festivities to attend to. But you know, from what I could see, I thought uh, Argentina were just that little bit better than than Wales were. And you know, it was a great test match still, and Argentina 
deserved winners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also just to end off talking about this game, we need to give Wales a bit of credit because Gats coming in late, only taking over ahead of the Six Nations this year, he managed to rejuvenate that side and get them through to a quarterfinal. I think Wales can be happy with where they are. We spoke before the World Cup kicked off, you know, they're probably a team more looking ahead towards 2027 in Australia, very young, young captains and all of that. So I think Wales, they can be happy with the quarterfinal. Look, it's obviously going to be disappointing because a quarterfinal exit is so abrupt, right? You're, you're hoping to still be there for another two or three weeks and then suddenly your your tournament is off. So it's it's earth-shattering, sure. Uh, but yeah, look, they put a, a good performance on and look, like you say, Dan Bigger, stalwart of the game. Yeah, it was good to, good to see him perhaps in this final game and yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for how it ended, but look, there's winners and losers every time we play. Absolutely. Then, Ronnie, going over to the game, that probably put a hell of a smile on your face because I know it did mine on Saturday night. All Blacks getting a 28-24 to victory over Ireland, making it Ireland's eighth quarterfinal exit from the World Cup in a row. What did you think of that one, Ronald? You know, look, I was definitely cheering for the All Blacks. You know, I'm one of those, I suppose, I'm, I'm patriotic in that I like to watch the Southern Hemisphere teams or the Rugby Championship teams and beat the Northern, beat the Six Nations teams. But I have to say, I felt a little bit sorry for, for, for the Irish post, post-match. You know, I was supporting the All Blacks. Unfortunately, I did tell my Irish friend that I was supporting Ireland, but that's because I was a bit of a soft spot for them in the Northern Hemisphere. And... Yeah, when I saw Sexton's face after the game and, you know, Buddy Aki especially, you can't help but feel a little bit uh, empathetic towards those guys. But well done to the All Blacks. And I feel like I told you this last week. All Blacks are back. Yeah, so, well, that's what I I want to get onto now, Ronnie. Last week on the pod, you were going on, you know, it's the All Blacks, it's a quarterfinal, the All Blacks are back. And then you picked Ireland on Superbrew. Yeah, so so what happened there with most of my calls is I made it very early, knowing that I was going to travel, I didn't want to miss a call, so... I made a bunch of calls using my gut feel at the time. And, you know, and then I, then I did obviously change my mind and I even discussed it with my cousins. And and it got to the point where I thought, you know, let me just go review the Super Root picks. Maybe I need to increase my margin or, or decrease it. I need to then realize that, you know, she had picked Ireland and I picked what the bookies, who the bookies favored at the time. And then I thought to myself, you know, the first rule of Super Brew is you never change your, your mind. If you change your mind, that's when you get the call wrong. And uh, probably this is the one, this is the exception to that rule. Yeah, no, well, it, unfortunately for you, didn't pay dividends. But fortunately for South Af- or the Southern Hemisphere, we're quite happy with the outcome of that one. But let's start at the beginning of the game, Ronnie. What did you make of Ireland's response to the hacker, the figure eight? I mean, obviously, when we see teams do this, we all think it's really cool, you know, innovative. But now it's just become a mockery because they made a figure eight. And now it seems to be representing their eighth quarterfinal exit, or at least that's the joke doing the rounds on the socials. So yeah, Ireland having that response to the hacker, you know, the All Blacks may have taken a little bit of umbrage to it because they really came out firing in that game. But surprisingly, Ronnie, we saw the All Blacks still come out victorious after getting two yellow cards. There was one for Aaron Smith for a knockdown, Mm. and then Cody Taylor later getting yellow carded for a collapsing of a mall. You know, Something like that, you would expect Ireland to really punish, especially because of how well their backline functions. But then if you watch the game a second time, you look at someone like Johnny Sexton, which is a player you really needed to step up for Ireland. And if you watched him in this game, he actually looked a little bit hesitant. He was taking the ball, not taking more than two steps and popping it off to Bundy and letting Bundy run with it. 
you know, did the occasion maybe get to Johnny a little bit? Yeah, so I think the All Blacks did exceptionally well to to disrupt Ireland in their usual game plan. And even my cousin said that, you know, it looked like Johnny Sexton wasn't playing his normal game. It looked like, he, you know, at no point did he go stand out in the back of the pocket and, and like you say, potentially try to do something funny. He just basically stood between the scrum off and, and Bodiaki. That was, that was all he did. And I was a little bit disappointed to see, would have liked him to, to go out firing, but maybe that was a strategy, a game plan, something that we can't exactly see without closer analysis. Yeah, but maybe it didn't work. shutting his channel down quite well that we, we maybe didn't pick up on at first glance. Ronnie, don't you find it yeah. a little bit entertaining that the only two people that scored against the All Blacks are former New Zealanders in Bundiaki and Jamison Gibson Park? Yeah, I did see that. And that was also something that we, we, we shouted out in the stands at one point just to remind everybody. But yeah, it was probably not in good taste. But look, yeah, it is, it is the way that it is. It's a professional sport. People fly their trades in other countries. Yeah, and you know, it would have been cherry on the top had James Lowe added a third try in there, making it an all New Zealand affair. But the third try for Ireland coming via penalty try for a collapsed mall. Yeah, Ireland just not being able to get over the line and do it, Ronnie. But Adi Sevier, it was his 30th birthday. He secured a man of the match and scored a try. I really think Adi is in the form of his life at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And I felt like Adi Sevier has been good for a number of years now. He's just not being favoured, it seems, by the fans, by the New Zealand fans, which I find surprising. I think he's a, a very exceptional player. At least the fans we've spoken to have, have always said that they're not big fans of Adi playing there. But... Uh, Look, a performance like he did against the Irish now, you know, they might have to change their, their minds over him. Yeah, he is immense. He's one of the most crucial forwards in that pack. But also good to see New Zealand getting a bit more game time, yeah. time out of Ethan DeCrew at Tyrell Lomax. I think that was making quite a difference. And it is true, this is the first game New Zealand's had in the World Cup where they have a fully fit squad. Saying that, though, Mark Talia was left out due to disciplinary issues. He came back late from a bit of a jaw. I don't think they missed a beat by including Leicester Fyinganaku, Fyinganuku in that team. He also played phenomenally yeah. well, was very, very physical out wide. So, yeah, New Zealand seemed to be doing... I also thought Sam Kane had a... Yeah, I just saw to interrupt. I thought, you know, we need to give some credit to Sam Kane too. Look, he's been perhaps underperforming for a number of seasons now. But I felt that, you know, he made a couple of crucial moves in that game with two crucial turnovers, uh, which really, I mean, it was a very close affair. So I, I just want to give credit to Sam Kane too, which we don't often do. Yeah, no, I must agree with you on that. Sam Kane had a massive game for the All Blacks. He was also all over the park. So big shout out to Sam for that one pulling through for the guys when they needed him most. Ronnie, just a last parting thought then on this game. I found it quite interesting to see that the All Blacks didn't put DMAC or Finley Christie onto the field. They were left on the subs mm. bench. Yeah. What do you make of a decision like that? And we'll come back to it when we talk yeah. about how the box used their bench. But is this a case of reading the game well and, and playing what's in front of you, saying, you know, these guys are stable, let's not interrupt this? Or was it a lack of faith in these players yeah. on the bench? No, it's a, it's the former, right? So you're in a tight contest. You don't want to go and mess with, with, with something that seems to be working, right? So I agree. DMAC is a fantastic asset to have. And I would have liked to have seen him on the field. And I was waiting for him to get up off the bench and onto the field, but it wasn't to be. And that's, that's, I think a lot of, a lot of uh, nations still use, you know, 
for lack of a better term, we could call it the old school way of, of man using your bench, right? To, to whereas, whereas the box uses the bench as a tool and as, they have a specific strategy. It's something it's not always your, your second string t- uh, players that are on the bench. It's sometimes your best performers there. They're there to, to do a role and, and to, to, and, and that's the way Rusty uses it as opposed to this, like we say, <laughs> subbing when someone, uh, when someone's not performing on the field. Yeah. No, for sure. Ronnie, let's then take over to the second or the f- the first game of Sunday, another fixture that you were at. Before we dive into the game, the stadiums there, I just want to know for all our listeners, because it's a theme we've followed, how easy is it to get a beer, Ronald? Yeah, you can time your beer. Time it, right? You can, get, you can walk straight to the front of the queue. So yeah, look, there's obviously times where it's going to be very congested, and it was. But you know, all that we did is we 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 watched the kickoff. One of the guys went to the bathroom. We watched the kickoff two minutes after the kickoff. He went to the the toilet and got a beer, and he was back. Uh, you know, with three minutes later, so he didn't really. He missed three minutes of the game and managed to go to the toilet and the bar that quickly. And there are bars everywhere and toilets everywhere. I mean, this is this is facilities planning one one in this new age. So they, they do a good job of that. We were seeing in the crowd, actually, this little carrier that they were giving you guys for the beer. Did that thing work well? Yes. Amazing. So it works well. Honestly, no, it's a little cardboard thing. So I was, I was like, I can't bring that back to South Africa. It's probably disintegrated now. It's a little cardboard thing that they give you if you get four beers and uh, you fold it up and it carries your four beers around with you. So yeah, that makes things very, very less villages. And yeah, it's a very handy thing to, to carry around the, the cups as well. Nice recyclable uh, uh, cups. And yeah, I got, we managed to get a couple of those in hand, which is fantastic. So they've done pretty well in France, you'd say. Yeah, they have. There was a lot of beer. And honestly, they, you know, you could just walk down the streets. Belinda did give me a bit of a rundown before I went to Marseille. You know, she was there a couple of weeks ago for some of the pool matches. And, you know, she said every, every restaurant's got a TV outside. But I think... I didn't quite realize what she meant by that. Honestly, there's a little, there's a guy with a caravan and a chip stand and he's got a TV outside his, his caravan. You walk down the street and there's a, there's a pub and they put a TV outside as well. There's just TVs everywhere. Yeah, man. I think it must be so epic being there and in that environment. Hey, Ronnie, it's, it's something I'm really jealous of. I didn't manage to join you, but I'm glad it's been a sick experience so far. Talking about that then, let's dive into the game where England got a 30 to 24 point victory over Fiji getting a bit of revenge for that loss they suffered at Fiji's hands just before the World Cup. 24-10 at halftime, though, or at 60 minutes. And Fiji then came out firing with two tries. Penny Ravi scoring in the 64th minute really created a momentum shift. And England, lucky that they had Owen Farrell on the field to save the day with a drop in a penalty, eh, Ronald? Yeah, honestly, like it, it, really, it really came down to the wire. And it was fantastic for the atmosphere. We were so tense. We were on the edges of our seats. We thought, here we go. We're going to see another upset. Well, I suppose upset, depending on who you ask. And, and yeah, we were together with, I suppose it was just the English fans that were supporting England, but we had, we had Scotsmen around us, everybody cheering for Fiji, going wild. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was on, that was one of the best games I have ever been to. So the Fijians took it so close. And, and honestly, once again, they need more game time because if they get more game time or, or get more matches in, in a world, in the World Cup cycle, Jeepers, they're going to be a force to contend with. Absolutely. Did you manage to get your hands on a Fijian jersey? No, no. Unfortunately, we push things a little bit tight, so it's a little bit uh, difficult to walk through the crowds and, and then, uh, you know, a lot of people buying merch and, and stuff, which perhaps in some cases I think are a little bit overpriced. But, you know, that's something we've, we've great to get used to. These, these big tournaments or sports events, people tend to up their prices quite a bit. 
No, for sure. But I think Fiji definitely win the away kit award. Hey, that black jersey was really sick. Yes, sure, sure. Ronnie, you know, for me on Super Brew, I was swaying back and forth between England and Fiji and England and Fiji. And then I just went and I was like, let me look player for player. And I saw Dan Cole starting for England. And I was like, ah, this homie shouldn't still be playing after what happened in 2019. I'm going for Fiji. Backing the guys, supporting our, our loyal fans there from Sevu. Unfortunately, not to come through. Dan Cole's actually doing pretty well in the scrum. But outside of him, I thought Ben Earl was quite good for England. Semi Radradra was very good for the Fijians. And as always, making a menace of himself at the breakdown. Honestly, we were sharing for Butchia so much, and, and that guy's very difficult to tackle. Like, just see by, you can hear this, hear what it sounds like to tackle him. It's bone crunching. Yeah, it's unreal to think he's got enough pace to play in the centers, but enough strength to also play in the loose forwards. He really is a great player. And I think for Fiji, this is a good stepping stone. You know, they've done well in this tournament. They're a team that's growing now. They're a team that's got a bit more experience, a domestic competition. And hopefully soon we'll see them involved in more proper international tournaments as well. Ronnie, that English backline, when I looked at it on paper, I thought, you know, this looks like a bit of a mismatch to me. You've got Joe Marchand moving in from the wing. You've got Marcus Smith at fullback dropping Freddie Stewart, who'd actually been pretty great for England last year, and Manutua Lagi now at 12. But I think what this game proved to me is that Manutua Lagi is one of the most crucial players for that England team. And, you know, he's 32 years old. He's got just over 50 test caps, which shows how long he's bent out injured. But I mean, that is a player that England need to to make sure remains fit for, for the game against us, because he is the, the most solid in that back line. Yeah, yeah. He's very crucial for that backline, and a lot of things seem to hinge off of him. Yeah, no, definitely. He's he's great with the crash ball. It's much better having him at 12 than it is having Owen. And Owen slotting that droppy, you know, saying, you know, coach, I can do it too. George Ford may have gotten us three, confidence. but I've also got that. And it was at a crucial time, which was showing some great leadership from the English captain, I thought. Exactly. And should, we should take note of that, right? So we're expected to play, or we are going to play England next week in the semi-final. And that's something you need to take. Yeah, no, for sure. We're going to have to focus on shutting him down. Yeah, Ronnie, well, that gets all the other quarterfinal action out of the way. Now let's get on to talking about our team, who has progressed to the semifinals after beating the hosts, France, 29 points to 28. At a packed out 80,000 people instead of France. What a game, Ronnie. Yeah. It was a huge game, huge performance. I uh, unfortunately did not watch much of the game. It's, you know, for the first time in a very long time, I was so nervous I just couldn't watch the screen. That's the reality of it. I, I spent my time looking away and hoping to hear silence from the many, many thousands of spring uh, French supporters around us. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was unreal to see that victory. But let's just start off this 9 p.m. on a Sunday kickoff. No, it doesn't matter as much for you, but Moses. Here we are, 9 o'clock, you think, okay, 11, 11.30, you're going to hit bed. Then you get the Borka pulling off a win like this. Your adrenaline's bumping so much. You can't bloody go to sleep. So Monday was a very Monday Monday for everyone here in South Africa, and I'm sure all Springbok supporters around the world. Yeah, look, I, it was a difficult one for me too. I just have to add that. I spent a long time in the car today in silence, regretting some of the decisions, some of the beverages that I had last night, obviously in celebration. Being in France, are you doping on the beer or on the wine? I don't know, very responsibly, but 
on beer. Oh, there we go. There we go. Ronnie, let's then start off the pre-game for this one, because let's look at the Springbok selection. We spoke last week, we recorded before the team sheet was announced, Russian then playing a little silly bugger on the French and only announcing the team on Friday morning. But I think the Springbok selectors got this spot on. Yeah, so I would have still preferred a 6-2 split. I think I've grown accustomed to the 6-2 split, and I wanted to see that against, a, I expect it to be a very physical French side. But look, it worked out. Five-three splits, not something we see very often with the spring box, but it worked out really well. And yeah, I guess I'll concede the point and say perhaps they did get the spot on. Perhaps they know something more than I do. Yeah, I was also, I'm not going to lie to you, especially just after the 40-minute mark, I was looking at this French side. They were really, really physical. They were punching holes through us. And I thought, shit, we really could have used that additional forward. We've only got Quaka on the bench to cover the Lucys. You know, they've been playing their hearts out at the moment. But then again, if you say that sentence again and you go, they've only got Quaka in the Lucys, do you need anything else? Yeah, he's a, he's a Swiss Army knife. I think I said it. He's a Swiss Army knife of rugby players. Honestly, you could use him anyway. You could even play him with Flahov. Yeah, he is, he is really, really unreal. I mean, the contribution he made when he came onto the field was immense. He was all over the place. He plays with such physicality, with such pace, and he really manages to inject energy into that pack. I saw Matt Gitto made comment mm-hmm. today about the Springbok bench, and he said, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, bringing players on because someone's tired or, or whatnot. These guys have a specific goal, and you can really see the change in the game when they do take the field. And man, that's what we got here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was well paced out, I think, as well. They came in at just the right time. You know, when things started to slip again, you know, Rassi. Obviously, okay, what more is there to say? Rassi and Jacques are just geniuses. They know what they're doing, that's for sure. But Ronnie, tell they me, know what they're doing. how did you shit yourself? Because I know I did when France scored that massive mall try. I was like, oh, here we go. France has come to yeah. dominate. The forwards yeah. are going to meet them. And we're in big duck now. Because that was a, a beast of a try. Yeah, and it was a perfect thing to roll up a crowd of Frenchmen. We were surrounded. I mean, we made good, some good friends with some Frenchmen there, but honestly, it was just enough to get that crowd stamping their feet. So it was, I was very nervous, very, very nervous for my safety too. Not really, but also for the Springboks cheapers. You don't want to be, for a team to score a rolling ball try like that against the Springboks, you know that they're, uh, they're a top, top top-notch team no for sure i mean i looked over to linza after that and i said we absolutely have to score next otherwise this french crowd's going to get on top of us as well and one thing the french got right after scoring such a big mall try is we were very very hesitant to compete in the air after that we were always waiting for the the mall to come and if i'm correct i don't think france tried the mall again they kept setting up the mall and then quickly getting it off from dupont to send it out wide but you could see the mental scar that they left on the yeah. box from that big mall. Sure. I'll take your word for that. That's something that I may not pick up. Like I said, that's much of the game, uh, unfortunately, still, still yet to watch. Ronnie, then another interesting tactic that I picked up from this game was arc kicking. Because that first one that led to Orens's try, Kurbis Reinach smacked that thing into the air and we were all like, oh, shit, it's short. It's going to come down. France is going to get it. It's big cut. But then I remembered some of the, the analysis we've done in the past. And the more we did it in the game, the more I realized they were targeting Ramos. We spoke about how France liked to do these yeah. long range, low kicks, and then feed off our mistakes. But here we were, we were kicking yeah. the ball very high, but short 
to make Ramos have to run 20, 30, 40 meters to make the catch. And then when he was getting there, our guys weren't in the air, but we had four or five bodies in the way, making it a really messy place to try and jump and take it. And we really profited off those kicks. Hey? We, we got the yeah. ball back on a number of occasions that led to Aronson's try in that instance. So I think that was some smart coaching from the box as well. Yeah, I think and that's good. It's not our tech kicking's come a long way, right? So it used to be about uh, getting into the right areas of the field, and I think it's evolved to such that it's about making it uncomfortable for the opposition to re- to to gather the ball, and that's all it was. You know, it might not have been contestable for us, or it may have been contestable for us, but the, it was it was really about disrupting the momentum of the opposition, and I was just kicking it down their throats again to see what they can if they can run it back at us. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the kicking, Anton Dupont and the French side actually made a number of holes in the Springbok defense with those little chip kicks they were doing over our defensive line. We've seen that as a tactic that yeah. has paid dividends against the box before, but they forgot to count for Jesse Creel. Man, oh man, was that guy on fire. Yo, no, honestly, take back everything I've said about him in the past. Uh, anything where I've uh, perhaps uh, said, oh no, I don't have faith or trust in it because honestly, that guy, what a legend. Well, honestly, what a legend. Yeah, Kyle, if you're listening to this, Kyle was the winner of our tickets to the URC final. I know he wasn't the greatest supporter of Jesse, but he did retract his complaints today. And, you know, shout out to Jesse. What a game. He is the king of the try-saving tackle after this week because I, th- I counted at least <laughs> yeah. the times that he saved us. Yeah, yeah, and he was bloodied up after the, at the end of the game. It's it just goes to show how much he put his body on the line. And look, I'm by no means saying we're not biased, but so that we can't be accused of being entirely biased, Ronnie. I think we have to give credit. We are very biased. We are, absolutely. But Anton Dupont <laughs> is a phenomenal rugby player, hey? He was... Yes, yeah. You know, it's actually someone I thoroughly enjoy watching, and I really hope we get to see him for many years to come, because his skill level is, yeah. is insane. It's something... The last time we saw a nine playing like him, I think, was Fareed Dupreau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the new age for Edepri. I like that. No, absolutely. He is an incredible footballer. Same goes for Damien Peno on the wing. Phenomenal, phenomenal. But, and we spoke about him last week, Ronnie. How good is Malvaka, the French hooker? Yeah, excellent. But not just him. You know, that, that, whole, that whole front row, that forward pack, or that type five from France, it's a very intimidating type five to come up against. Yeah, even though South Africans may have even shivered a little bit, but then yeah, quickly shook that off because yeah, you know, we are the number one team in the world. Sorry for being biased, but yeah, look, it's a very intimidating type five right through props, locks, hooker, uh, very intimidating. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, I would have never been more happy to see a player leave the field than when Malvaka got subbed. He scored a try in this one. He was, he was Malcolm Marks for the French. He was so physical and mm. such a handful to deal with. He made so many meters for France. Also a very young player, so there'll be much to come from him going forward. But like you say, Ronnie, and, and when I was talking with the guys last night before kickoff, I said, you know, France have the pack that can compete with us. It's going to come down to whether yep. they have the second pack that can also compete with us. And I don't think they did. I think when Cyril Bai went off, when Antonio went off, when Malvaka went off, they lost a little bit of that. And you could see the box growing in confidence. Oxen Chair is a real powerhouse when he comes on getting some scrum penalties, but nothing showed the box confidence at scrum time more than Damien Willems taking the mark and immediately calling for the scrum. I saw that. I actually, I haven't, I saw that there's a video that I see explained the rationale behind that decision. I'd like 
to see what that actually what that actually was. Got to do my research, but yeah, that's that's a little little surprise that I'm going to say for for tomorrow over breakfast. But you probably wouldn't have heard it, but the commentary on the game was hilarious when that happened. They were like, "Someone get the rule book. Is there anything we don't know about that Rusty's figured out? Why are we going for a scrum?" <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, my understanding of the idea behind it was we're backing the scrum, which shows great confidence in your pack to get us a penalty. Then at least when we kick it out, it's our own ball which would have worked because we did get the penalty. Unfortunately, we just failed to kick it out. Yeah. Well, look, it's, it is a bit of a risk, right? But I think uh, Rassi and Jacques and the Springboks understand that you've got to take some risks in this tournament. You know, if you're holding it back, you, you're going to have regrets when you're at the end of the tournament if you weren't able to, to pull it off. So they put everything out there. They took the risk. They said, you know what? We're going to play for the penalty if, you know, we're going to risk not getting a penalty and perhaps giving one away ourselves. But yeah, so confidence. I'm gonna. I'm hoping it's not arrogance. I'm just hoping it's confidence. I think it's confidence. And you also saw us trying something new with the tap and go on the French line, where it looked like Irvin was going to take it. Then he quickly moved off. Archia came and took it and then popped it inside, ultimately leading to a try for Irvin Etzebet and probably the turning point of the game, actually. Ronnie, Irvin gets a yellow card in the 39th minute. I first want to hear from you. Was that a yellow card? You know, I think it's... It is the yellow card, unfortunately. Look, the rules are head contact, head contact, head contact. You know, you're going to get penalized for it. I think, you know, it's it's very rarely is anything cynical, so it's not much more than that. Yeah, it is unfortunate to see that sometimes, you know, real absolute mistakes that you can see are mistakes get get penalized the court with, with, with cards, and that might disrupt the game. But yeah, I think it didn't disrupt it for us. So let's, let's, we don't have to to be too concerned about it. And then the other big French talking point, which has upset DuPont and a number of the French players, was Irvin Etzebet's slap back of the ball. And I've seen quite a bit of commentary on our socials about this as well. And I think the important thing is a professional foul or a knockdown is when the ball goes forward. If you've got dinner plate hands like Mm -hmm. Irvin Etzebet and you manage to slap it backwards, then it's still play on. You haven't interrupted the play illegally. The ball is still in play and you can pick up and go, which is exactly what the Boca did. Look, this is a topic of discussion that we'll definitely unpack in the future. I think when the World Cup's out, I still disagree with, uh, you know, slapping the ball forward being, you know, a uh, guardable offense. You know, it's not cynical. It's, it's reactionary. It's, it's instinct. Yeah. But look, I think when I watched part of the game earlier today, a bit of a clip and I actually saw that incident, you know, it, he does hit it backwards. Sure. But if I was a Frenchman, if I was a French supporter, I'd also be complaining. So I can, I can see it from their side. Yeah, no, for sure. There's two sides to every story. But fortunately, that one came off on, on our side. Ronnie, we have to talk about this because this, this is going to etch him into the history books. Cheslin Colby charging down the conversion attempt from Ramos. And I think it's important because Cheslin came out and he said, you know, he spent six years playing with Ramos in France, studying him, learning him. It wouldn't surprise me if mm. Rassi sent Cheslin there. He's like, Mm. 2018. In 2023, we're going to meet France in the final, Cheslin. You need to know everything about Ramos so you can charge his kick down. <laughs> no, that was impressive. And that was the game. Yeah, that's something that's, that's, that's very rarely seen in a game, right? Yeah. And 30 meters. Cheslin covered 30 meters to charge that down, eh? No, very quick. Yeah, very, very well done to Cheslin. But all in all, very well done to the Springboks. You guys have brought a bit more joy to South Africa. Very, very chirpy around here this morning. 
everyone was happy and as they are after the Boca win. So great to see that. Ronnie, are you going to give Very us... Very quiet here in France. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, were any roosters making noise this morning? No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Ronnie, do you have the Super Brew log for us there? I know you're right at the bottom of it, but maybe you can give us the top three. I like Super Brew. I don't even think I want to play Super Brew again. But yeah, let's try to jump right through it. Uh, Dita in fourth place. No, actually, this is such a surprise. But do you know that Harry, one of our one of our fellow Inner Circle WhatsApp group members, is in fifth place? That's incredible. Is he really? Anyways, so we'll start with... Yeah, sorry. Just caught me off track a bit there. But in third place, we've got Andre. Andre's on 52.75 points. In second place, we've got Neil Strutz. He's on 54 points. Also on 54 points is Juan. Juan 44. Yeah, just a couple of tiebreaker rules in his favor there. So that's why Juan 44 is at the top of the log. Lacquer Juan, you are our superest of brews at the moment. So please get in touch with us. We've got some May Fokchor merch coming your way. Yeah, guys. Two rounds left to go, so make sure you're making those picks. Get in there, and if you haven't joined us for the World Cup but are keen to get involved, come and join us for the URC. The pool code is plastered all, of our, all over our socials, so you'll be able to find it there. Ronnie, should we head over quickly and have a look at the preview of the semifinals? Yeah, that's good. So first up on Friday night is a massive game. That's at the Stade de France as well, kicking off at 9 p.m. South African time. Los Pumas versus the All Blacks. This is an interesting one because, I mean, I'm pretty sure Los Pumas are heavily, heavily backed to lose this one. But they beat New Zealand in New Zealand. They beat New Zealand in Australia. Don't discount Los Pumas just yet. Yeah, look, I think they're... They're definitely the underdogs, but they're used to being in that position. They've been there for many years, and we know that they can beat the black. So it's it's not a zero percent chance. There's a very there is a big possibility of them actually coming away with with the win there. And you know, I say that even though I think that the All Blacks should actually take that one quite comfortably because the All Blacks are back. I think the factor that makes me worried about a game like this is if you think back to 2019 where. England blew the All Blacks out of the water in the semis and then were completely flat against the Boca in the final. You know, that's something that the Springboks and New Zealand are going to have to shape up to, having beaten Ireland and France respectively, you know, to refocus and come back. Because general feeling, whether we like it or not, is that the semifinals are easier than the quarters in this World Cup. And that's probably a bit dangerous. Yeah. Well, that's important not to get complacent. That's the rule, right? For sure. So, Ronnie, let's give your pick for this one. I'm going to go with New Zealand by 12 to 15. Like, and if you guys know anything by now, Ronnie's picks are always wrong. So therefore, pick Argentina and you'll probably be right. <laughs> but no, I'm also going to go with you, Ronnie. I'm going to back the All Blacks for this one too. Okay. Well, then that makes me feel a bit better about my pick. <laughs> then we go over Saturday night. Also, Stade Francais. Another 9 p.m. kickoff, but at least this time it's a Saturday. And there we have England, the only undefeated team at the World Cup versus South Africa and also the only Northern Hemisphere team left at the World Cup. Ronnie, what are you thinking about this game? Yeah, this is a difficult one, you know, because the reality is we've beaten beaten England a couple of times in the final matches, in finals, rugby uh, throughout the years. And, you know, they're going to come out firing. They're going to use that as a bit of motivation. And they're going to come out all guns blazing. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm a little bit nervous. 
I'm also a little bit nervous. I think England are more dangerous than we give them credit for. And like you say, that revenge factor they'll have is is something to be concerned about. And also momentum quite on their side at the moment. I think it's going to be crucial to see what selections England make. I think Dan Cole, as I said earlier, probably still dealing with some scars for what the Boca did to him in 2019 in Yokohama. But that being said, England are starting to come into their own. Manitua Luggy is a menace. What I want to know from you, Ronnie, do you foresee the box making any alterations to the match 23? Yeah, I do. I think we're going to go, we're going to return to the 6-2 split. I think we'll probably see Andre Pollard come in. You know, I wonder if there's place for Marty Lubbock on the bench. I don't know. But I think this is Andre Pollard's opportunity slot in. I think we might even see Lucania make an appearance off the bench. I don't know. We'll see about that. But yeah, I think we'll, one thing I'm pretty... I, I think that will we'll most likely do is return to the 6-2 split. Yeah, I agree with you on the 6-2 split. I think, unfortunately, after Jesse Creel's performance, there's not going to be space for Lucanio nor a need for him at this point, which is crazy to say because he's such a phenomenal player. I do see us going back to the 6-2 split with either Marku van Staden or Jasper Visa coming in on the bench, maybe Dwayne moving to the bench and Jasper getting a start. I think Vili will fall out of the match 23, and I don't foresee Pollard pipping Marnie for a starting role, though. Fair enough. Like Ronnie, well, that's going to bring us up to the action for this weekend. It's, can you believe it, four games left of the World Cup, 44 down. That being said, the URC is also kicking off this weekend. Can you bloody believe it, Ronnie? It feels like there's been so much rugby on, and now we're hopping straight in. Opening no. that URC is on Saturday. This is definitely. Yeah, it's definitely caught me off guard here. Can't believe it's already here. Yeah, well, just a quick rundown of the South African fixtures there for everyone. We have the Emirates Lions. They're hosting the Stormers up here at Ellis Park. That's at 4 p.m. on Saturday. And then the Sharks will be playing Munster in Munster. Munster back to full strength since Ireland got kicked out. At quarter past six on Saturday night. And then the Bulls will be hosting Scarlets on Sunday at Loftus at 3 p.m. So that's your South African fixtures for the week. Ronnie, do you have the world rankings there for us? I do have the world rankings and it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic to look at if you're a South African or a New Zealander. Where's Ireland on that log, Ronnie? Okay, so yeah, Ireland's dropped down to third place. They were first on the log and they dropped down to third. It just seems like everything's rearranged itself into where it's supposed to be. So South Africa in first, and New Zealand in second, Ireland in third, France in fourth, England, unfortunately, they came up to fifth. Yeah, so it's it's looking really good if you're in if you're a South African or New Zealander because it's oh, gearing up to be a very competitive semi-final, very interesting semi-final. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely going to be an interesting one with those rankings. Last thing then, Ronnie, Francois Fent has been named captain of the Sharks for the tour and Apiwe Dianti set for his first return to rugby in four years. So a lot to watch in the URC this weekend, but World Cup remains the primary focus, eh, Ronald? And that's a wrap, guys. And girls, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, Please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bra while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it all, light the bra, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.